Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Dee Young, Chief Information Security Officer with UNC Healthcare. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Dee, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. This should be a great discussion. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. Um, so UNC Health is an academic medical center, and we also have an integrated health system. We're across the state of North Carolina. We have about 1,200 plus physician clinics and physician practices, and a really big tie with the University of North Carolina uh, system. Very good. Very good. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out uh, with an open-ended question here and just, just see what's top of mind for you. Uh, what are you thinking about? What are you looking at? Uh, what are some trends maybe that you're saying, hey, I want to make sure we're set up to handle this or any, you know, without naming vendors, any general technologies that have caught your eye? Just, I just want to see where, what you're thinking these days, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So all, always top of mind is uh, medical device security. In healthcare, that's such a a key risk area for us. And I, I think all CISOs and security professionals in healthcare are really trying to get our arms around um, the proliferation of connected medical devices that are really uh, pivotal for patient care and clinical operations. As you know, uh, many of these devices are um, very uh, precision oriented devices that can be in the clinical setting for years and years and years. And um, a lot of times their operating systems aren't uh, as robust as we would like in our mm -hmm. industry. And so we, we deal with a lot of legacy operating systems that our clinical and business leaders still need them to, to work and run. So we mitigate those risks quite a bit. Um, the other area that I think is really kind of top of mind for us right now is just getting our arms around some of the AI initiatives. You know, you right now in, in the news, we've seen chat GPT and, and some of those other technologies that are really kind of getting a little more mainstream. And how do we set these up where Again, our clinical and business leaders might be able to use some of these tools or technologies, and we want to make sure that um, we do them in a way that we have governance and uh, some of the protections that are needed. I think the emerging technologies is always an interesting space, um, whether it's digital therapeutics, you know, your inhaler that um, can now send information back or, you know, AI, I, I, those are always uh, fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, how can I enable the business and keep us safe and secure? Yes. Uh, all right. So lots there. So let's start with the medical device security. Um, first question is, uh, how do you break down in the way you're you're looking to secure things? How do you break down medical devices versus non-medical devices that are still connecting into the network? Is that, I, I mean, is it 
sort of two buckets to you or is it one bucket with some nuances in there? Obviously, when you get down to certain levels of business continuity, there's huge differences between um, a, a camera going out, a refrigerator going out, you know, something that's on the network, a smart refrigerator versus a diffusion pump. Right. But uh, at a certain level, just where do you want to go with that question in terms of how that breaks down when you're looking at medical versus non-medical devices on the network? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, there any, really, I want to start at anything that connects to the network. So that's my first bucket. And, you know, within that, it could be, you know, tablets, phones, you know, laptops, desktops, the traditional uh, devices that IT is used to, um, OT, you know, industrial control, or even, you know, some of the IOT that we're starting to see and medical devices. And medical devices, in my mind, can, can kind of overlap on all of those. So the very first thing is, I want to know what's connected to our network. Mm -hmm. And then within that, we do bucket it out mm -hmm. um, to a degree because we have a clinical engineering team that those medical devices are, are things they've worked on for years and years and years, um, even prior to a lot of them being connected. So they have their preventative maintenance they need to do and all the FDA requirements for those medical devices. And now in the last you know bit of time, maybe six, eight years, they're now connected. Mm -hmm. So there's an IP, IT component. Um, for our system, the clinical engineering reports up through IT. We made that move about three years ago um, because of all the connected devices. And that's been just a game changer for, for the cyber world for us. Um, so we, we try to bucket them, you know, for OT and facilities, you know, again, that's another group that manages those. So in my mind, I don't really care who manages it, but I, I need to see that visibility. So that was the number one thing. Um, I, I took on this role in February, 2020. Um, great time to, to change jobs as a CISO, right. Um, right before the pandemic. But one of the things that I, I really wanted to have first and foremost is visibility into the network. Right, you have to know what's coming in. So it, it it breaks down kind of, it would be facilities would be sort of dealing with the non-clinical and then clinical engineering would be dealing with the clinical in terms of devices and you would be working with both of those groups? Yeah, and for us, there's one more, which is our sec physical security group um, that does badges, cameras, um, you know, alarms, tube system, you know, those types of, of duress systems. And so it, it's really three main groups that we try to work with, the clinical engineering, the facilities, the protective services um, for the connected devices in our organization. Can you, can you tell me any more about the physical security group and the, um, what they do and the relationship that a CISO should have with the physical securities group? Yeah, I, I think it's paramount. Um, and in my prior organization, we actually had physical security that reported to the CSO. 
um, and also had the, the CISO report up. So that was a, a wonderful thing to see. And so they were able to align all of the cameras and the doors and protective services along with the cyber tools. And they got a more holistic view of um, their environment. Um, with ours, it's a partnership that I, I've worked really hard uh, with our, we actually have credentialed police in many of our organizations. So, you know, working with the police force to better understand and look at um, some of those devices that are so key in investigations, uh, whether it's cyber or a physical investigation, um, and working with them for retention logs and making sure that we have the great business continuity plans and so I, I think that relationship is one of the most critical within healthcare. And I, I think the CISO or the security person um, needs to try to align as, as much as possible. Because you think of the, you know, the badges, the keys. And for us, you know, as we're doing a HIPAA risk assessment, physical security is one of the things that we look at. You know, do we have good door locks? Do we have, you know... Uh, egress issues do we have where someone could walk off or um, you know take equipment those types of things yeah it's it's really interesting um, so when you think of some of the technologies that enable workflow uh, tap and go technologies where people don't have to keep signing in um, you think about you know possibly somebody walking into the health system throwing on a lab coat an imposter somehow gaining access to a workstation. Perhaps uh, the person was not logged out and someone, you know, these are extreme cases, but they can happen. So there is a relationship there between cyber and physical, again, with somebody walking in, getting onto a workstation. Um, you also have those sort of CSI, you know, uh, show episode ideas of, I believe there's some sort of hacking sometimes where you need to be in a certain proximity to the to what you're hacking that's where cyber meets physical so you know these are kind of interesting things here and again your thoughts as a CISO on what you want to be doing to to I guess at least bring awareness that these kind of things can happen yeah I, I think I think everyone is an expert at their area so whether it's facilities or protective services you know, they know their their tools, they know their risk. But I think having that communication mm -hmm. and sharing our insights and our perspective really helps align these initiatives. You know, when we're talking about, you know, prolonged cyber event that could happen at a hospital, one of the biggest concerns I have is what are our life safety uh, systems and issues, whether that's you know, HVAC systems, whether that's a hugs system to to restrict access for newborns, mm -hmm. the doors to make sure that those NICUs and PICUs are locked down, you know, it's um, the uh, med dispensing uh, cabinets that could be impacted, you know, so it's, it's those types of things that I really look towards um, 
those clinical and, and other experts within our organization to help us assess and mitigate, you know, things that might keep me up at night and know that others are working on, you know, possible solutions as well. It's such a great point. Um, and, it, it, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with CISOs and it seems like a really an important best practice is that for some of these folks you mentioned, and even for, you know, emergency management, when you're talking about business continuity planning, you know, you say, okay, I, as a CISO, I'm not going to figure out how clinicians are going to go to paper. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, but I do have to talk to emergency management because I need them to understand the possible scenarios, the cyber scenarios that could happen. So then they can go work out those details. But I have to let everybody know what cyber incidents can entail because they may not know. And I cannot assume that they are game planning out all these things, right? I have to take the baton so far and then pass it off. I can't just sit here. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's um, so important because, you know, as a CISO, my biggest fear is that we have some major incident and our patient care is impacted. You know, that's my why. I, I want to make sure that, you know, systems are available and, you know, people are able to work to take care of our patients. That's number one. And so one of the things we've done that has been really, really beneficial is, you know, of course, we've done cyber tabletops, mm -hmm. but we've done them at every entity with all of our leadership. And it's not talking about the technical response. It's talking about that business continuity and clinical operations. And really what we've seen is there's a shift as soon as we do these tabletops with the leadership where we, we facilitate the discussions and it's about those clinical operations. And especially with a cyber event, because it's a prolonged downtime that um, most hospitals aren't equipped. They don't, they've never gone through something, thank goodness, because of the IT resiliency and, and you know systems that we've matured in. And so having that communication with them um, that helps me sleep at night because mm -hmm. then I have, you know, the emergency preparedness group, we have the clinical, we have the business, and we walk through the scenario and it allows them to see steps and gaps that they might need to take to make sure that they can take care of the patients. And then we can resolve the issue, you know, technically, but, you know, that all hazards approach of, uh, emergency preparedness is critical. And I think so many times the business and clinical leaders think it's just an IT issue until we have those tabletops. And then I think they really understand it's a, it's a business clinical issue and patient safety issue. Right. When you game, when you sort of scenario it out for them, and they say, oh, I, you know, we had no idea. We didn't even realize that could happen. Or we didn't realize that's the way it would happen. Or we didn't realize that's the type of communication we might receive from you. And I'm just, I'm just guessing it out. But you could say, okay, if there's a uh, ransomware incident, here's a possible way it could happen. Here's a possible call you might get from me. And here's what I might say. I may say 
You know that application that you live and breathe in every day to do your clinical work? It's going to be unavailable in 30 minutes. And it may be unavailable for weeks. Mm-hmm. Right? You may get a call like that from me. You right. need to figure out what you're going to do if I give you that call. Is that something like how it works, those conversations? Yeah, usually um, we do the tabletops and and we really try to choose a system or application that would cause some disruption and 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 have them go through. So whether it's PACs, mm-hmm. so all imaging, whether it's you know all the Pixis machines for for medical dis, uh, med dispensing, something that would be realistic, right. but also kind of allow them to see some steps we would need to take. And I, I think one of the the key variables with a cyber event, as you know, Anthony, is is just sometimes we don't know what's going to be impacted. We don't know what might um, ripple down where we start with one system and then realize that it's spread or we need to take down you know, more keys of the kingdom to, to really protect the environment. And so I think that uncertainty is one of the things that we we really discuss within the tabletops. How do you, as a clinical uh, leader, uh, make that call on, you know, if some medical devices are up and some aren't, you know, what's the clinical indicators of um, when you might need to uh, divert patients or, you know, move uh, surgeries or different uh, procedures. So it, it gets it gets very complicated quickly, especially with one of the, you know, the keys, I think. I, I've been in the IT field long enough that I can remember when we worked to get people on electronic charting. And the issue now is we have many, many clinical experts that have never not charted on cl- on electronic right. charting. So when you have a prolonged downtime, you actually have the variable of teaching people how to chart. But that's the thing. The thing is that theoretically, they have to know that, mm-hmm. right? They have to have been trained on their end through emergency management and their leaders. They have to know how to go to paper. They theoretically right i mean but i mean the thing with clinicians that's crazy as i mentioned my wife's a nurse practitioner clinicians don't seem to have any spare time oh no so (laughs) so hey let's all just figure out just in case let's remember let's practice working on paper let's get all the forms out let's get that let's there's very little time for that which is why these scenarios are so scary because as much as we want a game plan and tabletop and all these kind of things. We know that going to paper is extremely painful in many ways, patient safety ways, uh, stress ways. It's a very unpleasant experience. You and other CISOs are doing everything you can to prevent it, but there's so many nefarious actors out there. I don't know. It's uh, I guess you do what you can, right? But it's just, um, it's a tough situation. It is. And, you know, what I love about healthcare is we'll figure out a way, yeah. you know, we'll get through it um, and we'll do the best for our patients. And so some of this, you, you really can't plan in advance, but I, I do think, um, you know, the, 
the documentation and and practicing downtimes in the daytime with different staff. You know, so so many of the technical downtimes and and trying to prepare are usually nights or weekends. And what we found as an organization is we need to make sure everyone understands um, how to how to work with the downtime. And the other issue that we've seen is shift changes or prolonged downtimes. You know, that's usually, uh, uh, you know, EHR downtime, maybe four hours at the very most. But rarely do you go past eight and then 12. And, you know, a cyber event does that. And Mm -hmm. just simple things like, do you have enough paper? Yes. You know? Yep. Have enough paper, you know, just basics. But I, I think the industry is doing a really good job um, with giving every hospital or organization great tools for their response. Um, and I think it's also paramount to to point out, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really trying to do is is working with our IT uh, leadership is to find better ways for us to be more resilient as a network. So yeah, we have all these threats and threat actors coming at us. And how can we weather the storm so that we don't have that catastrophic? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that's that's also in parallel, like I think is important. I'm, I've been trying to get my mind around how CISOs like yourself are thinking about the job in terms of how you're spending your time and prioritizing. I mean, again, are, do we have, is it a bucket situation where we, we have a bucket for prevention? So we're going to try and keep bad things from happening, right? But a lot of what we've just talked about is when something bad does happen. So there's a recovery. Um, it, it, do you have in your mind, like on a whiteboard, how you're approaching your job in terms of are you or you got the prevention bucket and you have the recovery bucket and i'm sure there's a million sub buckets under all those buckets like how do you approach the job i i think it's always a challenge um i think for me absolutely and what i'm trying to do is just those work streams i'm just trying to move them forward you know i might not be able to to focus all day every day on prevention and I have great teams and great groups that work on different initiatives. And my goal is to make progress in each area and try to give my teams the tools and the technology or training that they need to be able to help us move those forward. But I, I do think I think it has to be a cognizant decision. Um, if not, you get so much where you're firefighting and in the mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, kind of like what I mentioned earlier with AI and medical device, you know, kind of getting out of the weeds of the day-to-day and seeing, okay, where do, how do we want to move this forward? Um, I'm having a planning session with my um, GRC side of my team governance risk and compliance on, you know, what are we going to do for the next six, eight months within those work streams to make sure that we're ahead of the curve um, with some of the 
regulations or requirements that might be coming at us. So I think it's something that um, all CISOs really work towards. I, some some days are better than others. Mm-hmm. Some days are better than others. But yeah, I do think it's something. So at the very least, you have to have your, your buckets identified and you have to know who's working on those particular things and you have to receive regular updates. Mm-hmm. Um, so that type of thing. How about where you spend your, I mean, is you spending your time a matter of managing all that and making sure everyone's working on the right things and has what they need, receiving regular updates, and then sort of keeping that in line? Or is that all going and you keep that going and then you're sort of working on other things? Um, Like, what do you personally put your hand into and work in as opposed to just having people report up to you and update you on what's going on. Where, where, where is a good place for you to be spending your time and capital? Yeah, I, I think it's something that I, I continue to refine. Um, I, I personally like to help an initiative get started. Mm-hmm. So if we have a, a, a new initiative or a new area, I, I want to work with the team as much as I possibly can give them direction. I always say, give them navigational buoys. And then I hire excellent people. Mm-hmm. And so they um, they know kind of how to drive it forward. We do touch bases. As far as my day-to-day, you know, I'm really, I, I try to block out time um, for those initiatives that might take some just think time and mm-hmm search, whether that's AI governance or, you know, kind of emerging technologies, just to kind of allow myself time to have deep thought. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as meetings, usually it's um, the high visibility, high risk types of meetings. So, you know, um, our enterprise risk management group, our audit and compliance, you know, work group, um, working with our IT leadership on new initiatives or new designs of data centers or, you know, kind of that emerging, how do we get our arms around type of of, um, meeting. I think a lot of my time, the last year or two actually has been on investigations, mm. whether it's a third-party breach and we've been notified and we need to better assess our risk or uh, a situation or an issue within our health system that maybe was a near miss and we need to uh, strengthen our processes or uh, education to make sure that we don't have a, a major event um, or, you know, kind of assessing new vendors or new technology um, at the system level that uh, we might need to incorporate, whether that's, you know, a medical device vendor, a retirement vendor, you know, uh, a HR process. I think those are where. I think it's really interesting. I think that probably um, a good a good mark of success for 
failure or lack of success is as an executive like yourself is picking the right things to spend your personal time on. And I think if you get that wrong, you can get yourself in some trouble. If you were to say the things you mentioned, if you were to delegate those and choose other things to spend your time on, right? I mean, these are important decisions you're making, right? You delegate the wrong thing. It doesn't go well. And somebody higher up says, well, why wasn't D handling that? So you have to make good decisions there as a CISO, correct? Yeah, I, I wish I could replicate myself sometimes because there are so many meetings that, you know, they need the CISO because there's a hard decision, you know, and I joke with my teams, you know, I don't get the easy buttons. I don't, I don't get the ones that are just simple. You know, I get the gnarly, the, you know, really hard because everyone else has tried to figure this out. And by the time it gets to me, it's not easy. It's not simple. It's not fun. And that's what I try to remind people of is, you know, that's why I'm in the role Mm -hmm. is to really try to help make those decisions with great resources and, and, you know, amazing leadership with other or other parts of the organization. So it's not me alone, but, um, yeah, I, I I think that's key. And I also think, you know, I I had a boss at one point that he played football in college. Mm-hmm. And he always said, you know, it doesn't matter what you did last week. You know, you could get cut this week. You know, it, it was kind of that football game time mentality. And, and it reminded me that it doesn't matter what I did last week. I need to refocus, kind of look at this week. So I really try to, to manage my time in those types of blocks. You know, I, I work long term as well, but I, I think making sure again, those work efforts, I've done a little, mm-hmm. it's been a little movement each week or each month um, to make sure that I don't look back in six months and realize, oh, I haven't done anything in an area. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of sort of getting a plane in the air. It takes a lot of effort and energy to get it in the air and then it should be all right. But you have to help get that thing started and also give them their marching orders, so to speak, and make sure they have general ideas of what you're looking for. And okay. Once you feel like they're, they're good. Okay. You guys are good. You check in with me a little bit, but right. If you don't help them at the beginning, it might get all sorts of sideways. Absolutely. And (laughs) also blocking and tackling. You know, a lot of times with these new initiatives, there are change initiatives within mm-hmm. an organization. And so, you know, while I might have an amazing senior security analyst driving this effort forward, sometimes they need the weight of the CISO and, and the information security office to help move these initiatives forward. And so I think that's where helping them and starting it out gives them a more successful um, project. I could talk to you for another hour, but I'm not going to do that. We talked about time management. I'm going to ask you one more question and I'm going to let you go. Um, We talked about having great people. Uh, You know, there's everyone talks about a lack of cybersecurity talent. Um, There's, you know, I've heard people say they've got plenty of open roles they can't fill. Uh, you have great people, you want to have great people, that means hiring is super important. 
I'm guessing that that's an area you dip your toe into maybe for certain level positions. Um, so hiring is super important, right? If we're going to have a great team, we have to, we have to hire well. Um, and then we want to make sure that the people we have, we don't burn them out. It's a tough job. It's a lot of stress. It could be the kind of job where you're only noticed when something goes wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, so your thoughts on hiring and then managing, I, I would love to ask you about how you keep yourself sane, but I don't know if we'll have to. Anyway, jump in where you want there and we'll make that our final question. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, having a great team is, is one of the things that I thrive on because I, I really enjoy working with other experts and, and I think everyone on, on, the security team has their expertise. So one of the things I really tried when I took on this role was I didn't want to break the team because the existing staff was wonderful. Um, they knew their jobs, they knew their roles, but we also needed to start adding people. Um, so we really take a, a cross-functional role in the interviewing and looking for the right people um, to come onto our team and to add value and to really help support our um, culture within our office. One of the big things for me is it's us against the world. So, um, you know, the security team is tight. I love it. We help each other. We can, you know, it's a safe space. Um, very collaborative. Also, I really try to focus on having each person have something they can own. Mm -hmm. I think is important so that they can have mastery. And um, luckily, so far in my a little over three years, we've not lost anyone voluntarily, you know, whatsoever. No turnover. And um, in the hiring, we're we're careful. And I, I don't have open roles I'm able to hire. And so while I understand that um, concern and, and, you know, so many open roles for a lot of organizations, I, I think for us, it is that balance. You know, we really try to allow people to have the time to recharge. Mm-hmm and to take care of their families and, and to do what they need to, because I want them in the, in the role and on the team for long-term. Right. That's one of the things that I really focus on. That's great. That's a great philosophy and a great way to approach things and uh, a wonderful interview. Dee, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Andy.